The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. And of course, this is the official podcast of Jobs.Mom. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and we have a really interesting and exciting episode uh, for you here today. We're going to be talking about the Done Manifesto. And before we launch into what that manifesto is, I'd like to introduce our guest for the day. She's actually a very dear friend, and she's the person that introduced me to this life-changing manifesto. And if it changed my life, I'm sure it will change yours. Um, Her name is Cynthia Seamus, and she's quite impressive. She has an extensive background in business development. She spent over a decade in software sales at companies like AltaVista, Equilibrium. And when she moved on from the corporate world, she actually um, founded and built two, not one, but two e-commerce startups and bought them, uh, brought them to successful exit. Um, she's an alumnus of the top tier startup accelerator, 500 Startups. Um, and she was also a fellow at the Startup Leadership Program. And today, because she doesn't have enough to do, she is also the principal at Cinch. Did I say that right? How do I say that? Yes, you did. Cinch, a boutique marketing and monetization strategy agency for startups. So needless to say, she knows what she's talking about. So today I have on Moms at Work, my friend, Cynthia Seamus. Sin, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, the Done Manifesto, I was not familiar with this, but during one of my many freakouts and anxiety-ridden moments over the course of this pandemic, launching Jobs.Mom, working on the 10 million things I'm working on, you told me about it, and it has revolutionized my life. So do you want to share with everyone, Sin, what is the Done Manifesto? Yeah, absolutely. So the Done Manifesto, which, by the way, I do want to say, I cannot take credit for creating this. Uh, it is something that I found several years ago, and it's it's kind of helped change my life too. Um, but the Done Manifesto is basically like a 13-point system for thinking about all of the tasks that we have to do in any given time frame. So as a startup founder or even as a corporate professional, we're always uh, sitting there with too many things on our plate. Um, We always have too much to manage. And one of the things that plagues women in general, especially female entrepreneurs, but I think this is probably true of of full-time moms, and it's probably true of um, corporate employees as well, is that we hold ourselves to a standard of perfection 
that is simply unrealistic. And there's something called perfection paralysis that so many of us struggle with. And the Done Manifesto really addresses that um, in such an elegant and eloquent way that I felt like it was it was amazing and, and I hoped it would help you and I'm glad it has. Oh, it has. It's it's my favorite thing. So I printed it out. <laughs> I have it hanging on three different walls. And Omar and I, my husband Omar and I, whenever something is going on, we'll say, hey, remember number four or hey, remember number eight. So we've committed it to our minds and committed it to our hearts. And we really are trying um, to live the done manifesto, especially when you talk about the perfection paralysis. This, as you know me very well, um, see, is a crippling problem that I struggle with. Everything needs to be done and everything needs to be done now and it needs to be done perfectly, which is simply unrealistic. And as you rightly mentioned, it's something that plagues was the word that you used. Women, working mothers, even stay-at-home moms, it's it, it's a crippling um, issue that we all face. Yeah, absolutely. And so that brings us sort of to point number one on the done manifesto. And by the way, you're ahead of me because I haven't got all the points uh, memorized by their numbers, but I, I remember what they are. Um, so point number one, though, I do know, which is that there are three states of being. There's not knowing, there's action, and there's completion. That's it. That is all. And when you really dig into what that means, um, it means that there's complete ignorance, right? And then there's something in the middle, and then there's this last stage of yep, done. And once it's done, it is done. Jumping down to point three, there's no editing stage. It's done. You're either working on it or it's finished. And yeah. so, I mean, it it really brings things into such stark relief and such offers such clarity of thought. At least it did for me um, as I have been building businesses. And then uh, later on, right now in my practice at Cinch, which is a very, very boutique firm, I I'm, uh, I guard my time jealously, let's put it that way. <laughs> and so uh, when I am working with clients, though, one of the things that I do is create go-to-market strategies for them, marketing strategies, monetization strategies, and there are a lot of times when a founder and a founding team are in that not knowing stage. They've never heard of, you know, uh, KPIs. They've never heard of what metrics they should be measuring. They've never heard of Facebook ads manager, et cetera. So there's not knowing. And then there's action. And the action stage is literally every part of it. It's the learning about something and it's the, uh, initial doing, it's the setting up your experiments, it's the trial and error portion, and then it's done. And then you move on to the next thing. And the second the second point of the done manifesto is that you're sort of accepting that everything is a draft during that action stage. Right. Um, so, right. you know, you go from complete ignorance of the thing to drafting, 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 you're sort of testing, measuring, iterating in that action stage. And then once you reach your desired result, or you reach a point of failure, which we'll come to later, then you're at completion. And so those are the three states. Everything is a draft. 
and there is no editing stage. So that's the first three points of the done manifesto. And that's and terrifying. The- that's terrifying, right? <laughs> when you think about it, it's really terrifying. So, so the, there's 13 points. Point number one, there are three states of being, not knowing, action, and completion. Point number two, accept that everything is a draft. It helps to get it done. And number three, there is no editing stage. Now, for perfectionists like me, Cynthia, this is like what will keep me up at night in cold sweats. What do you mean that there is no editing stage? But how can there be no editing stage if you're saying everything is a draft? Well, and that brings us down a little bit further on the list, which is the point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done, right? So uh, how can I tie this to what you've asked? It it is, uh, well, actually, you know what? I'll I'll use another point on the manifesto, and you probably know which one this is. I think it's number nine, laughing at perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. Uh, even even striving perfection for perfection is a fool's errand because we know we'll never get there. And if you do happen upon something in the world that appears to be perfect, it's boring. And you look at it, you know, like, um, you know what uh, came to my mind when I thought about boring perfection is, I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of the inside of Kim Kardashian's house. Right. Um, (laughs) But it's like, so sterile, so bland, so perfect. Even the refrigerator looks like it's, it looks like the food is plastic because it's all so tightly curated and so perfect. And you just know that the second anybody takes a bottle of water out of that fridge, somebody else is standing in the wings running in to put another bottle there in that empty spot because God forbid it's not symmetrical. And perfection like that is boring. And it's not realistic for anyone but maybe a Kardashian. Um, and even then, do we even want that? I don't. Yeah. Um, another, and I think, I think what you, what you're saying is, is so important because, you know, if, if we talk about these points, the, the done manifesto, the name, the done manifesto, it's 13 points for you to get things done. And there are so many things that prevent us from getting things done, see, that perfectionism, that this isn't good enough, that that Mm -hmm. self-doubt, that guilt, or this isn't right yet, or it's not as good as it can be. And what the Done Manifesto is saying is, number one, you either don't know anything, you do something, and then you complete it. Three steps, that's it. And then number two, everything is a draft. So it doesn't have to be perfect. I think what this is doing is it's alleviating some of that stress to say it has to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just a draft, right? Well, yeah, and and absolutely right. And point number 10 actually speaks to this. Failure counts as done. And so I, I kind of mentioned that a minute ago, that when you're in that action stage, at some point, there are some, let's say you're running an experiment. At some point, your experiment may fail. And when it fails, you're done. Period. There's yeah. no more doing. That's right. And therefore, it's done. So failure does count as done. And just internalizing that for the first time is so incredibly powerful, right? Like you, you realize that 
our instinct is to, oh my God, it looks like it's failing. It looks like it's failing. What can I do to rescue it? What can I do to salvage it? Stop. That's what you can do. Yeah. If it is failing, you can stop and you can move on to getting something else done because That's that's the whole point of the done manifesto is to get things done so that you can then move on to the next thing that needs to be done. And your flywheel becomes not reiterating the same failed task, right? It becomes creating a new task or approach or thought process or business process to accomplish your goal. So failure is done. Failure is counts as done. So do making mistakes. And that goes a long way towards addressing the perfection paralysis thing. Um, Related to that also, (laughs) and this one is, this one is sort of evil and I love it. There is a point in here and it's number 11. Destruction. Destruction is a variant of done. Now, you know, this one is hard to get your head around. And I was really struggling with it until one day I was watching my son. This is a couple years ago. I was watching my son play with Legos. And he built this really complicated tower that I was frankly kind of surprised stood up because it was a little janky and a little off center and whatever. But it stood and it ended up being about as tall as he was at the time. And he took a look at it and he said, I'm done. And then he knocked it over and it went everywhere. And in that moment, I realized destruction is a variant of done. For him, the building of the Lego Tower was the journey. And the destination was, I've run out of this kind of block or, you know, I'm I'm done with it. And now... I am really done with it. It's gone. I've destroyed it. And I think I think one of the really important learnings from that is because sometimes we have invested so much time and energy into building mm-hmm. something that yes. we continue to invest it even long after it has expired its use because we believe oh I've already invested. It's the sunk mm-hmm. cost fallacy, right? I've 100%. invested so much in it, but it's, you know, I always equate it to you keep all these tabs open in your browser that you just don't need anymore. And it's slowing you down. Close the tabs, destroy things, have no fear in ending, closing, breaking, mm-hmm. destroying things that have outlived their usefulness. Otherwise it's clogging up your bandwidth. It's taking up your time, your energy, your resources, and you don't need it to. Right. And that's yeah. what we learn from kids. Uh, we do. We That was one of the most profound lessons I've really ever learned from a kid is that he, you know, the destruction was actually part of the journey and that that counted as done. I, yeah. I thought that was really uh, pretty, pretty insightful of him as a little kid. And then when it really hit me, I, I just was struck by how profound that was. And Applying that to our lives, especially our work lives, is hard. But you're right. Sometimes I I think about the phrase my mom used to say, oh, you're throwing good money after bad. 
you know, like you have a, a car that keeps breaking down, you're throwing good money after bad, continuing to repair it. And I think about that a lot in terms of the sunk cost fallacy. And it's a very difficult discipline to uh, train yourself to. But man, when you start really believing that destruction can be the desired result, it can be the, the only feasible result, that is that is incredibly empowering and freeing. I agree. And if you want to talk about hard truths, if we look at number four, going back to the list, this <laughs> is for all of you, all of us that suffer from imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> number four says, pretending you know what you're doing is almost the same as knowing what you are doing. So just accept that you know what you're doing even if you don't, and do it. So it's saying fake it till you make it. <laughs> yes. And this is something. So in my bio, uh, you mentioned that I'm an alumnus of, of 500 startups. And for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, which is probably a lot of people, um, 500 startups is a startup, startup accelerator program. Basically, they will make a seed investment in a very early stage startup and then they bring in cohorts of, of, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 startup companies. And they'll bring a couple of people from you know, the founding teams of that startup. They'll bring them out to the Bay Area. And it's a really intensive program for about 12 weeks where you're sort of living, working and breathing everything to do with your startup and with your cohort. And it's almost like a graduate program in startuping. Um, there were in my cohort, I was batch nine, which is really a long time ago because they're up to like 30 something now. But um, in my cohort, I think we had 10 out of 30 founders who were female. So two thirds were male. And, and actually that, that proportion is fantastic and, and certainly a much better proportion than the proportions of female to male startup founders um, because 500 always purposely went out of their way to court diversity. But that's another story. My point I was going to make was <laughs> that out of the roughly 30 startups and founding teams, I noticed something about the male founders and male founding teams that wasn't there for the women. The guys would go in to pitch their startup and be like, we've got the greatest concept ever and we're going to do this and we've got this idea and it's the best and it's disruptive and it's world changing and you got to get in on this on the ground floor. And the truth is they hadn't built a damn thing. And <laughs> they also <laughs> didn't know what they were talking about. So you'd ask them like a pretty simplistic question about how are you going to monetize that? Yeah, man, I don't know, but we're going to build it. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then you'd get the female startup founder who goes up there and she's like, well, I have an MBA from NYU Stern and I have, you know, six years of experience working at Google. And here is reams of research that we've done about why this concept is going to work. And oh, by the way, here is all of our customer studies that we've done. And they have, they have done thousands of times more work, right? And, and often built something that's much more full-fledged, but they are pretty sure that they don't know what they're doing. 
And the young male entrepreneurs are pretty sure that they do know what they're doing. And the contrast is remarkable. And might I point out that apparently the guys are doing something right because over 97% of all startup funding goes to male founders. So this is a great lesson for us as women to learn. Pretending you know what you're doing is almost the same as knowing what you're doing. And certainly in the startup world where you may be pitching to a set of investors, over 90% of whom are going to be male and something like 85% of whom are going to be white men, um, pretend you know what you're doing. Yeah. Even in those instances where you do not know what you're doing. This is sort of banishing perfection paralysis. I don't need to be the world's leading expert on whatever the thing is that I'm doing. What I need to do is I need to have done the intellectual work and figured out the answers to the questions before they ask them. But I really need to go in there with irrational self-confidence of a founder because that works. And it works outside of startups too, not just, I'm not, I don't want, I want to be clear that I'm not just talking about entrepreneurs having to sort of BS their way to a check. This sort of, it, it, it really built, it really turns into a growth mindset. No, I don't know how to do that yet. Right, right. And I think that's so important for everybody to listen, uh, who's listening, because two, two threads here that I want to, that I want to follow. The first is when you talk about, of funding, startup funding goes to males and and to male founders. It's it's for a a reason, right? It's not because the preference necessarily is towards men. But when you look, although I'm sure there is a bias for sure, but when you look at the statistics as to why. So overwhelmingly, the majority of startups are going to fail. That's that's number one. Startups are going to fail. But when you look at the reasons as to why startups fail, the top two reasons are cash flow and bad management. Number two, everything else falls way below that. And the reason I mention it is because investors are going to invest in startups led by people they believe can carry it forward, sell the vision, build the team, draw the customers in, push, 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 push. And if when you're pitching the investors, you're not giving that confidence that I can do it, you're not going to get the money. And it's not about the analytics only. It's not about the 10 reams of research that you've brought to the table. It's Can you successfully steward this ship? So that's number one. The second point is what you mentioned, Cynthia, and what Cynthia said is so true. It's not just about entrepreneurships. When you look at women, when they job hunt, right? Men, men will apply to every (laughs) job. Rocket scientist, I've never studied engineering, apply. Brain (laughs) surgeon, I've never gone to medical school, apply. Women. We will not apply if we don't fit one criteria perfectly. It's it's self-sabotage. It is self-sabotage. We need to have confidence in ourselves. We have to. God, that is so, so true. I mean, I I don't know why this anecdote popped into my head, but (laughs) my father is and was a professional musician for long before I was born and, and, you know, he's 85 now and he's not playing all the time, but that is pretty much what he was trained to do. And that is what he has done. 
Guess what he was doing in 1969, though? He took a break from, not music, he took a break from touring and playing music because when he and my mom got married, she told him to get a real job. So he did. And uh, he went to work at Jet Propulsion Laboratories on this little project called the Apollo. And uh, he helped put a man on the moon. A musician. How the hell did he do that? Right. Because he applied for the job. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. And he was systems analyst. And that is why I was born in Cape Canaveral, Florida. And uh, within spitting distance of rocket launch pads, because my dad had the irrational self-confidence of any younger man and, or really any man um, to say, Hey, sure. I could put a man on the moon with zero <laughs> training in any of that. And they hired him. That's um, it. And then he obviously something, you know, I'm not saying he was an engineer or anything at NASA, but he, he was there. And, and that's a great example. Meanwhile, my mother was a classically trained musician. Um, and, <laughs> quite talented and she was a French horn player and uh, she had the opportunity to audition for the Boston Pops Orchestra and her lack of self-confidence made her not go to the audition. Wow. What a, what a right. stark contrast, right? A mm-hmm. stark contrast. Yeah. A stark contrast. And I think that brings us also to some of the subsequent points. So Number number five, right? So a lot of us are on the fence about doing things, right? Am I qualified? Am I not qualified? Should I? Should I not? The lesson that we just learned is, yes, do it. Whatever it is, just do it. And number five says, banish procrastination. If you wait more than a week to get an idea done, abandon it. If it's taking you longer than seven days, leave it alone, move on. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do this one. <laughs> I don't. I look, I cannot let go of things. I <laughs> I cannot do this one. I should and I understand exactly why. And in the reason why that we should abandon an idea that's been kicking around for more than a week. The reason why is because our greatest non-renewable asset is time. Yes. That's it. Time is money. Time is health. Time is wealth. Time is fun. It's everything that we have. Time is everything. And if you are wasting time, then that's the opposite of the done manifesto, right? You're not getting shit done. Yeah. Getting things done. Yeah, and that brings, us to the, that brings us to the next point, because if you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating, you're not getting things done. The point, number six says, the point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done. You're never going to be done with everything you need to do. What you can hope for is to do as many of those things that you need to do, because time, as you mentioned, is our most valuable non-renewable asset. We want to maximize that time. If you're procrastinating and dragging your feet and not getting things done, right? You're not doing the other things that you need to done uh, to, to get done. So, you know, this goes back to that perfection you were talking about, Cynthia, that it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be finished. And then once it's finished, 
you can throw it away. That's number seven. So talk about what do you mean? I just I just labored over this thing and it's completed. And now you want me to throw it away? Another example that I'm going to take from my kids. So my kids, I have uh, twins who are 12, almost 13, and they're in seventh grade. And uh, for half the year, they have art. And then the other half of the year, they switch to technology for that period. And uh, so my daughter just finished her art cycle, and she's moved on to the tech cycle. And all of her art projects that she worked on from the beginning of the year um, that she put effort into, she loves art and she enjoys it. And so she really did work hard on these. And uh, they do them and they work on them and they put their little hearts into them. And then the teacher looks at it and praises it. And sometimes every now and then the teacher will pull out one and say, okay, we're going to save this for an exhibition. But for the most part, they give them back. And you know where those things go? The trash. Yep. Yep. And the kids don't care. Yeah. They do not care. They worked on it. They finished it. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> wow. And, and I'm a hoarder, right? So that's like really hard for, for me. So I go through cycles of extreme hoarding and then extreme minimization, you know, like, you know, I, I just, I, I reach a threshold, but yeah, like, you know, it's, and it goes back to that. We, we have to learn to let things go because it, it takes up unnecessary time and resource and energy. It's finished move on. And, and that right. brings us, and, and that brings us to the next point where, you know, the next few points. So we talked about number eight, laugh at perfection. It's boring and it keeps you from being done. Yes. Anything that stops you from completing a task, remove it from your mind, right? It's, it's remove perfection, perfectionism from your mind, remove X from your mind, remove Y from your mind. Your singular goal should be to get things. And this applies, especially, you know, I speak to a lot of writers and authors that struggle with this to finish their books, to finish their books. And one of the most significant pieces of, you know, wisdom I received was it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to like it. You're going to edit it for 15 years, get 20 eyes on it. You're never going to be happy. Just write it, finish it, print it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Get it done. Right. And right. you can always, you can always write another one. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's actually not in the done manifesto, but it's something I want to kind of mention. Well, I know we have like, a, uh, I think we have one more point to talk about. But I do want to just take a, a little side note here that when we talk about completion, sometimes you, you will finish that book and, and you'll publish it. And even if it's a bestseller, maybe there are things that you've left unsaid or ideas that you've left unexplored or a character arc that you couldn't make work. Great. Now do it again. Right. Do another one. Yeah. And that is something that we have to start sort of thinking about chunking time, chunking efforts into discrete containers, discrete tasks, right? So, I mean, it might be write a book <laughs> or it might be write that one email that you've been not wanting to write for three days, but 
can't let it get to seven. Um, whatever it is, chunk it up and make that a discrete task that you can start, take action on and complete. Yes. And then move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that I, I think there are actually two points that we haven't touched on. Um, I know we haven't touched on the next to last one, which is kind of a weird one. And I feel like there, I feel like, oh, you know what? We left out people without dirty hands. Yes. So I want to hear what you think of this one. So the, the, the point says people without dirty hands are wrong. Doing something makes you right. Yes. I want to hear what you think of that. So, so this one is one of my favorites, right? Because there are, in the age of social media, there are armchair pundits and experts on everything, everything. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got some kind of wisdom, right? And this has been the double-edged sword of social media, a blessing and a curse, a blessing in that you have the world at your fingertips in terms of information, network, access, people, content, data. The curse is that you have the world at your fingertips, <laughs> unlimited information, data, network, access, and the integrity of information cannot always be verified. So how do you know if something is the truth? You know, the age of fake news that we live in, right? How do you decide veracity? How do you decide, you know, we talk a lot about the death of experts because people just don't, you know, trust the right people anymore. And, well, and, and people have stopped differentiating between fact and feeling. Correct. Correct. And this, this point, so on my list, I have 13 points. On this point, this is number nine. People without dirty hands are wrong. Doing something makes you right. So you didn't have to have done it well. You didn't have to do have done it successfully. You didn't have to have done it perfectly. But if you have done it, you have more expertise than I do. I want to hear from you. And this is where a lot of people make a mistake. They only look to the people that have done it right, that have done it well, that have done it successfully. I want to hear from the guys and the girls that didn't do it right. Because that's where the learning is. And we have to actively seek out those people. So women that are listening, this applies to even when you're looking for mentors at work. Don't look for just people that are popular or kind or nice. I mean, that's all important, right? But look for the people that have been in the trenches doing the things that you seek to do or are doing that can give you practical advice. Because if they have done it, they have done it right. That's it. That's who you want to listen to. I'm so glad that I let you talk about that one because you said that so much better than anything I would have said. And I agree 100% with everything that you said. And so, yay. I'm, I, yay you. I think you, yay you. Yay you. <laughs> but I mean, that brings us to number 10, right? Failure counts as done. So do mistakes. You did mm -hmm. it. You did it. Even if you failed, you have learned failure is the best teacher. You will never forget the loss, the shame, the embarrassment, the fear, whatever the gamut of feelings you felt. You'll never forget it. And you will spend the rest of your life trying to protect yourself from never feeling those things again. 
Well, and there's another viewpoint too, in this comes directly from the startup world, which is that failure should be a goal. You should right. be pushing the boundaries and the barriers forward so far until you find that failure point. So the idea is to fail fast so that then you can try something else. That's and if right. you think about things is, as an experiment, everything is an experiment, everything is a draft, right? Um, then the ultimate result is you're either going to learn something really valuable that that uh, it was successful and, and you made sales or you, you know, increased user retention or whatever your goal was, or it's going to fail and you learn from that too. And then fail faster, 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 because every failure teaches you something and teaches you a new thing to look at as a method of success. And failure is the gate to innovation and invention and creativity. And, you know, for, we have a lot of managers that listen, right? If you're in a position of leadership or you're a manager, you run a team, you need to normalize a culture of failure because otherwise people will not, people will be hesitant to contribute ideas, right? They'll be hesitant to yeah. contribute um, innovative thinking, thoughts, processes, because there will be that fear of, penalty of, of retribution. And we see this, a lot of companies are quite risk averse and risk means, you know, allowing people to try new things. And we see it in history, right? Giants, giant companies that we thought would never fail have failed because they were risk averse. Blackberry is mm-hmm. a great example. Where is Blackberry <laughs> today? right? Slow to market, slow to move, slow to innovate, not agile, not versatile, not flexible, an extremely risk averse culture. When you don't have that culture of normalizing failure and saying, hey, just try it. If it fails, it's not a big deal. Just saying those words out loud to your team makes a difference. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, at least we've tried it. If it works, right? What an amazing opportunity for us. And this is what we need to do. We need to normalize failure in our cultures, at our companies, in our teams, in our personal lives. We need to be okay personally um, with failing. And this is really painful for me because you know me, Cynthia, where <laughs> failure is is like akin to death for me, right? It's I cannot fail in anything, not in making sandwiches, not in not in <laughs> anything. It's it's debilitating, but I've learned to be okay with it, right? Um, you have to be okay with it because otherwise you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. You know why? Because we don't always win. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we teach this to kids, right? That's why it's important for them to play in sports and right. activities. You're not always going to be win, to, to win. Winning is easy. How to lose and how to feel and cope when you lose is the important life lesson because that mm-hmm. has to teach you ambition, drive, work ethic, determination, feed into all those things. If you like winning, you have to lose because that's how you're going to learn to win, right? That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And so looking at the last three points, um, number 11, we talked about destruction is a variant of done. Now, number 12 is one of my uh, one of my favorites. If you have an idea and publish it on the internet, that counts as a ghost of done. Let's hear it, Cynthia. What is a ghost 
of dumb. <laughs> you know, all the time. I wanted to count. I I crack up at this one too because I'm not exactly sure what Brie meant when she said ghost of dumb. To be honest, I mean, I <laughs> I I think that it means that it is a a variant of done, right? Like it's sort of done into the ether. It wasn't really done, but it was said and that's done enough. Yeah. You put it out there. Put something out there. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an idea. Now, of course, like we say in startup world, like ideas don't mean anything. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution that matters. But if you have an idea and you release it out into the world, that is a ghost of done. Does that mean it's not done? Or does that mean it was done theoretically? Right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I'm not really sure. I kind of feel like this one is open to your interpretation. Does that mean that having an idea and putting it on the internet is uh, killing the idea? Does it mean Maybe. that? Does it mean that it is an idea came and went, and you didn't think enough about it to do it? I'm not really sure what this one means, to be honest. I mean, I didn't write them, <laughs> but this one does make me laugh, and I think about it a lot. And, and I every now and then I'll say something on the internet, and I'll think, "Huh, ghost of done." I wonder if I just did that. Right. (laughs) And I don't really know. (laughs) And I think it's exactly what you said. You know, it's what does it mean? Does it mean that it's kind of done or it counts as done enough or that you've killed the idea? Like the word ghost, right, uh, can mean so many things. The ghost of an idea, the shadow of an idea. The For me, this, you know, how I interpret it is you've put yourself out there. It's enough. You've, you know, you've put it out there. That's done. You've hit hit send. It's published. You've opened yourself up for criticism. You know, the world knows you've announced that this is my idea. This is my whatever I've, I've published and it's, it's done. Right. And that brings us to our last point. Number 13 done is the engine of more. The more you get done, the more you will have to do, the more opportunities to do more things will come to you. But if you're not a doer, if you're not doing things, if you're not publishing things, if you're not sharing your ideas, writing your books, publishing your articles, you know, what you put out is what you're going to attract. If you're not putting out anything, you're not attracting anything. So done, Cynthia, is the engine of more. It is. And it becomes sort of a flywheel, you know, I, I, and, and one thing you just said sort of sparked a memory again, I'm bringing it back to being a mom, um, partly because that's, that's a big part of my life and my experience, of course, but also partly because I believe that our audience is largely made up of moms, right? Um, job stop mom. Why a, a, a couple of years ago, uh, my kids and I were talking about YouTube. They had just been given permission to go on YouTube. And 
the world was their oyster and they were so excited about it. And they were constantly talking about the creators that they were interested in. And at some point, after a few weeks, I got sick of hearing it. <laughs> and I said, hey, why don't you think about making your own videos too? And that sparked a whole conversation about today's culture and how ultimately we decide whether it's that day or that month or that year or that lifetime, whether we're going to be a creator or whether we're going to be a consumer. And creating something, even if it's not that good, even if nobody cares what you created, nobody watches your YouTube video, creating gives you the impetus and the energy and the motivation and the ideas to create more. Then, when you hit publish and upload to YouTube, that's the engine of more. You put something out on the internet, people are going to have comments about it. And they're going to give you ideas and they're going to give you feedback. And then that spawns, you know, oh, you should do this or you should think about this or why didn't you address this or how dare you <laughs> have that thought? Whatever the feedback is, because you did a thing, that feedback and, and, and also sort of emotionally within yourself, it becomes the engine of more. It gives you opportunities, like you said, to create more. And so it's okay to have a day when you are just a consumer. And maybe it's okay to have a month like that. Maybe it's okay to have a year like that in some circumstances, right? But thinking about creation, no matter what you're creating, getting things done is creating. So done, creating, is the engine of more creation. And being a creator versus just a consumer was um, something that, you know, again, I, I was talking to my kids about it and they really... I know they internalized it because I've heard them talk about it with their friends. Um, and I think their friends are probably sorry that I'm the mom. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes they're like, why can't you just make us pizza rolls? But <laughs> instead of life lessons, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, that, that whole concept of creating versus just consuming or certainly mindless consumption, I think is is really worth internalizing for ourselves as grown-ups, as well as, you know, instilling that into our children as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, everyone that's listening, as we wrap up, as we wrap up this hour and you're listening to this done manifesto. You know, there's 13 points on this manifesto and we'll share the full manifesto in the episode description and you can read it and print it out and put it up on your wall and really internalize it too, the same way we have. But some of the most important lessons, I think, from what we talked about today and from the done manifesto is just number one, to get things done, just get it done. It doesn't have to be perfect, just get it done. And number two, have confidence in yourself, have confidence in yourself to do the things that you want to do. Don't care about what people are going to say. Don't care about what it's going to look like. 
Just do it. Believe in yourself that you can do it. And then believe that once it's done, there are more things for you to do. And it needs to be it needs to be something that we need to internalize, as Cynthia mentioned, because we have to believe these things. Otherwise, we will be stuck in this, um, you know, un- uncertainty and this doubt. And we end up being consumers and not the creators that we all have the potential to be. And when you when you read the writings and the works of some of the greatest thinkers and, and innovators and leaders, they all say the same thing. And that's a great idea can come from anyone, from everywhere, from anywhere, from anything. Don't think that it's just the CEO or, or the engineer with the 20 years of experience. It could be the intern, first day of the job, has a fresh perspective. So it's always you know, something that we need to keep in our minds. You can, you should, and you should not be worried about failing. Right. And, and this is these are some of the things that we need to, to remember. Um, and again, Cynthia Seamus, my friend, brilliant, brilliant um, entrepreneur, creator. Right. And um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal voice, mentor uh, and, and guide and the person that introduced me to the Dunn Manifesto. So thank you, Cynthia, for being here on Moms at Work today. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is really a lot of fun. I think uh it's always fun to spend an hour talking to you, but this is the most serious we've ever been for the longest period of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're usually critiquing all the done ghosts of done uh, published <laughs> on the internet. So if you ever wonder what Cynthia and I are doing in our downtime, it's it's critiquing all the ghosts of done out there. Um, <laughs> So for all of you listening, you can follow Cynthia. I'll put her LinkedIn and her handles on the episode description. And you can, of course, read the Done Manifesto. Um, And for information on resources, tools, skills, support, employment opportunities, and anything that you might need to get across that finish line, visit jobs.mom. And as always, stay safe, stay sane. I'm Zabine Mirza, and we'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work.